Society Baptist Church. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has even set her table. She has sent out her servants, and from the highest point of the city, she calls out, Let all who are simple come to my house. To those without any sense, she says, Come, eat my food and drink the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. It's uh, so awesome to be with you today. Um, Thank you, Jenna, for leading worship again. It's been a while, and I'm just thrilled to have you here. And thank you, Roy, for the scripture reading. Um, Thanks to the band. We've just got a dream team here. It's just really, really good. Um, uh, For the past uh, six weeks or so, uh, we've been doing a series through the book of Proverbs. And um, the series is called Words to Live By. And each week, we have been looking at at wisdom and how wisdom informs uh, various aspects of our lives. Uh, For instance, we looked at fear and friendship and conflict. And uh, last week, Beth did confession. And uh, I was not here, but I had a chance to to listen to uh, her message online. It was awesome. Uh, The whole series has been really great. And if you want to to catch up. I know a lot of people travel during the summer. Uh, you can get all of the messages on our, on our website. So do look into that. Uh, it'll be worth it. Uh, this week, this week we're going to be looking at how wisdom plays a part in our planning, in how we make plans effectively. Uh, how many of you have come up with a plan that in hindsight you said to yourself, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? I, I mean, you look, at, you look back and you think, how could I have... It just, it just baffles you. Well, I know I've been there on many occasions. And uh, uh, speaking of poor planning, uh, I read a, a story, or actually it was a, a letter uh, several years ago that was written to, the, to a claims adjuster Uh, for an accident report uh, for something that had taken place. And I'd like to read this to you. It says, Dear Sir, I'm writing in response to your request for additional information regarding my recent accident. In block three of my report, you'll see that I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. I trust the following details will be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade, and on the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a six-story building. When I completed my work, I had several bricks left over, which, after the fact, were found to weigh slightly more than 500 pounds. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them down in a barrel using a pulley that was attached to the roof. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded it with the bricks. I then went down, untied the rope, holding tightly to it to ensure a slow descent of the bricks. You will note in block 11 of the accident report that I weigh 135 pounds. (laughs) To my surprise, 
I was jerked off the ground so quickly that I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. As I proceeded up the side of the building at a rapid rate of speed, I met the barrel that was now careening down at an equally impressive rate of speed. This explains my concussion, minor abrasions, and my broken collarbone. Please see section 3 of the accident report. While my collision with the barrel was slowed by the ascent, I didn't come to a full stop until the fingers on my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley attached to the roof. At approximately that same time, the barrel of bricks hit the ground at the bottom, and the bottom fell out of it. Now devoid of the 500 pounds of bricks, the barrel weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer to you again, my weight. At this point, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building, and in the vicinity of the third floor, I again met the barrel, which accounts for my fractured ankle and broken tooth. Fortunately, this second encounter with the barrel slowed my descent to such a degree that when I landed on the pile of bricks below, I only cracked two vertebrae. As I lie there on the pile of bricks in excruciating pain, I must have lost my composure once again because I let go of the rope. A few seconds later, the empty barrel came careening down and landed on my legs. Hopefully... This detailed response will enable you to process the medical claim as soon as possible. Should you have any further questions, please don't hesitate to contact me. Lyle Huddersfield. Now, if we're going to make the kind of plans that lead us to where we want to go, we need wisdom. We need wisdom. And... As we have seen over these past several weeks, the book of Proverbs is filled with incredible insights for both conventional and supernatural wisdom. Now, if you have your Bible with you today, or if you'd like to use one of ours in the back of the pews, uh, turn to Proverbs 3, uh, verses 1 through 8. I want to look at this passage. Uh, While you're getting there, um, just so you know, this is a letter that was written from a father to a son in an attempt to convey insight so that his life might turn out better, that he would apply these insights and hopefully glean wisdom that would help him to move forward in life more successfully. He says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Now, if you look at this passage, you'll see that there are several insights that have the potential to increase our wisdom and help us to become better at every aspect of our lives, including decision-making and planning. For instance, in verse 3, take a look at verse 3 again, where it says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you, 
bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Okay, now what is this saying exactly? When we first read this, um, it sounds like the father is saying to his son, son, you need to become more loving and faithful. You need to become more loving and faithful. And that would be a good thing. But if you were to do a word study and, and look at this passage in, in the Hebrew, where it was originally written, um, you would find that there are different Hebrew words for the words love and faithfulness. Different words that have different meanings and are applied to different contexts. Okay? Now, the Hebrew word for love and faithfulness in this passage is the word chesed. Chesed. Now, chesed doesn't really have an English equivalent. Um, but the best way we can define chesed uh, is that it is a, a covenantal love. Okay? And it's, it's a steady persistence uh, and a refusal to give up on someone under any circumstances. A refusal to give up on someone. It's, it's an unconditional love and faithfulness. And it is always used to describe God's covenant with his people. Okay? Now, it is never used to describe kindness or good deeds or just faithfulness in general. Okay? So, if the writer had been referring to, say, brotherly love or being faithful and, 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 and loving in general, he would have used a different Hebrew word, uh, the word ahava, which has a different contextual meaning. Okay? Now, all that to say, uh, this passage isn't trying to convey a sense to this son that he should be more loving and faithful. That's not what it's saying. It's actually challenging him to get more in touch with God's love and faithfulness. That's what that Hebrew word means. Now, what's the difference? He's saying, if you want to be a wise person, if you want to experience God's favor, uh, if you want to experience the, the admiration of the people around you, you need to know who God really is. You need to know who God really is. You need to know the depth of his unfailing love for you. That he believes in you. That he has a plan for you. That he will never leave you or forsake you regardless of what you have done. Now, most people, especially Christians, most people believe that God is loving. That he is a loving God in general. But they oftentimes have a, a difficult time receiving his love personally. Okay, so you see God, generally speaking, he's loving. But when it comes to me, I'm not so sure. So instead of leaning on God during times of challenge or heartbreak or difficulty, um, our tendency is to become more self-sufficient, to take care of ourselves and 
we do that because we figure if we don't take care of ourselves, who will? Okay? Now, that doesn't mean we don't think that God is loving. You know, and I know I struggled with this for a very long time. I, I assumed that God was loving, and even that he loved me. But at the same time, I kind of assumed that he was disappointed in me. He loved me, but he was disappointed in me. And you know, when your parents were, were disappointed in you, you may remember uh, something that took place, and you knew your parents were disappointed in you. You knew they loved you, but they were, disappoint- they were disappointed in you, or at least that's what you perceived. You, you're not going to go to your parents during those seasons. You're probably going to stay away from your parents and take things into your own hands, and we do the same with God. Now, this was kind of the way I lived my life for a number of years. I believed the things of God. I believed that he loved me. But when it came to me personally, uh, I couldn't really enter in. And, and one day, a, a Christian friend of mine who could see that this was an issue in my life, uh, he said something that I will never forget, and I want to share it with you too. He said, James, not only does God love you, but he likes you. Not only does he love you, but he likes you. If he were here in this room today, he'd want to hang out with you. He'd want to be with you. In spite of all the things you've done, he's aware of all those things, but he still believes in you. He still loves you. He loves you unconditionally. That word, chesed. Now, let me ask you this. How how different would our lives be if we believed, if we really believed that, that God loved us in that way? that he was really for us, that he loved us unconditionally, that if he was here today at Trinity and he was looking for a place to sit down, he'd be looking for you because he'd want to sit next to you. How would that change your life? I I think it would give us poise. I I think it would give us a renewed sense of confidence, a a sense of self-worth, that maybe we've been lacking for a long time. And it would certainly give us a sense of security. Okay? And if we had those things, uh, we would be far better at decision-making, wouldn't we? We wouldn't be second-guessing ourselves all the time. We'd be far more decisive. We'd be far better at planning because we'd be grounded in the truth. We'd be in touch with the reality Uh, that Christ is for us, that he loves us, that our identity, our identity is rooted in him. Okay? In in Romans 8, Paul says that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. And then he, he also says that we are more than conquerors. How? Through him who loved us. You see, the love of Christ enables us to become conquerors. Do you think Satan is aware of that? Do you think he knows the scriptures? I think he does. I think he knows that if we really got this, if we really tapped into this, we'd be unstoppable. 
that he couldn't touch us. So what does he do? What does he do? Well, he starts planting seeds of doubt. He plants seeds of doubt in hopes that we will start to question God's love and faithfulness to us. Because he knows that if he can get us to question God's love and faithfulness, he can separate us from the one thing that will enable us to be conquerors. The thing that makes us overcomers. The thing that makes us confident in the decisions that we're making. Sure of who we are. Okay? If we lose sight of those things, we're weak and alone. Think about Adam and Eve for a moment. How did Satan separate Adam and Eve from God? He started planting seeds of doubt. Asking questions. Are you sure God has your best interest in mind? Is that really what he said? And eventually they got to the point where they were convinced that God was holding out on them. That God did not have their best interest in mind. That he didn't love them unconditionally. Now, I am, I'm really blessed to be in a, an accountability group. And uh, an accountability group is just a, a group of people that I have committed to joining together with. You can do it weekly or monthly or biweekly, however it works in your schedule. And these people are committed to speak truth and love into my life when I need it. Okay? And I do the same for them. And there is a guy in my accountability group. uh, When we get together and we start talking about life and faith and family and career and calling, a a lot of times I'll, I'll come into those meetings feeling kind of depressed or discouraged about something. And... We start out just saying, so how is everybody? What's going on? And you start sharing. And I start explaining, more like lamenting, about how things are going in my life. And one of the guys in my group always stops me whenever I do that, and he says, James. And then he asks me the same question every time. He says, what lie are you believing? What lie are you believing? And as soon as he says that, it stops me in my tracks every time. I take a step back, I evaluate the bigger picture, and I realize that I have bought into some lie. Some lie that has tripped me up, that has caused me to feel that God is not loving, not faithful, that I'm in this by myself, and I don't know where to go. Now, Once I am able to identify the lie, I can cast that lie out in the name of Jesus, and I can replace that lie with truth. And as soon as I'm walking in the truth, all of that negativity, that doubt, that fear, that discouragement just falls away. The foothold that I had in my life that allowed Satan to influence me in that way is no longer there. And so, let me ask you this. If you are struggling today with self-worth or discouragement or depression or fear, 
or you're dealing with some sort of relational issue that you can't seem to get your head around, and you feel like you're failing, you feel like you're drowning, and you feel like you have nowhere to turn, can I ask you that same question? What lie are you believing? Okay? Because when you can identify that lie, you can do the same thing. You can cast it out in the name of Jesus, and you can replace it with truth, and you can move forward as a conqueror. You can begin to make decisive decisions that lead to planning that will get you where you want to go. Okay? Now, when we get to verse 5 of this particular passage, the Father says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Again, you might say, okay, well, that's pretty straightforward. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I need to trust God completely. That means I need to just trust him completely. I've got to bear down and trust him with every aspect of my life. But do we? For most of us, it's pretty hard to trust God with all of our heart. You know, most of us, if we're here, we've, we've given up big swaths of land to God. But I bet you, if you dig a little deeper, you'll find that there are some things you're still holding on to. I know that's probably true of me. No, I know it's true of me. Um, do you know that we can believe in God? We can worship God. We can get into small groups. We can serve We can be a leader in a church. And yet we can still put our security and our trust in other things. For some of us, it might be our career. It it might be our children. It might be our looks. It could be a number of things could be our finances. But the problem is, no matter what we put our trust in, outside of God, it'll eventually let us down. It'll eventually let us down. And then where are we? Who are we? Who are we at that point? You see, what we need to do is we need to start taking regular inventories of our hearts. And we need to take these things to God and say, am I being honest about my identity, about the things that I'm putting my trust in? Uh, am I really trusting you, Lord, with all of my heart? And if I'm not, help me. I want my sense of identity to be in you. And I want my significance to be rooted in you. And nothing else. Sometimes you don't even realize that, that you are trusting in other things. Um, when I first moved to the city 16, 17 years ago, uh, it was to take a job at, at a church here in the city that was really doing great. Uh, and I couldn't believe that they hired me. I mean, I was just so excited. And uh, I started working there, and I was so proud to be on staff, and I just, I was single, and I was young, and I just poured myself into that work. I, I was working crazy hours, and, and what would happen is, you know, I, I started getting kudos for, for, the, for the things that I was contributing to this movement. And 
um, before long, my entire community was, was wrapped up in, in the work that I was doing. My friends, my, my, my work, there was, everything was kind of blurred. It, it was my life. And, you know, I absolutely loved it. And, and I was convinced that I was trusting God with my whole heart during that season. And then some circumstances took place, and, you know, the economy changed, and 9-11 happened, and churches started laying off, and my, my role was eliminated. And um, I'll tell you, it was crushing, way more crushing than it should have been. I felt alone. I felt abandoned. I felt uh, lost, uh, frustrated. Uh, and the worst part of it is I had just gotten married to an incredible woman. You know, it should have been like the most joyous season of my life. And instead, I look back and I realize that those were some of the darkest days of my life. And in hindsight... What I see now is that my identity, my sense of security, had been tied up in that job. And so when it was gone, my identity was lost, and my sense of security was lost. And I had to do some serious soul-searching to get right with God after that. I had to confess that I was not trusting God with my whole heart. And that I had put my identity in something that could never sustain what I was looking for. Anything that we put our trust in outside of God will eventually fail us. But if we know that we are truly loved by God, that we're trusting him with all our heart, you know, we can deal with any kind of loss. It's still going to hurt. And we're still going to struggle and we're still going to grieve but we're going to be okay because our judgment isn't affected by lies. Our, our judgment will not be clouded. So we can make wise choices even in the midst of tremendous pressure because we know our identity. We know our identity is in Christ and we know that we're loved. Now, in verse 6, the father says to his son, Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Now, the Father knows that our conventional wisdom and understanding won't lead us where we want to go. <laughs> Someone once asked me, James, what do you know most about? If there was one thing that you knew more than anything about, what would it be? I thought about it for a while, and came up with a couple possibilities. And he said, now, okay, consider this. Out of all the information that's out there on that particular subject, what percentage do you actually know? And I was like, man, less than 1%. That's conventional wisdom. When we use our conventional wisdom, we're, we're relying on our own wisdom, which is so incredibly limited. And then my friend said, do you think God is in the other 99%? you think it makes sense to, to look to him? In this passage, the father is saying to his son, submit to God and apply his understanding in your daily life. 
But how do we do that? How do we go about applying God's wisdom in our daily lives? Well, fortunately, because of the, the presence of the Holy Spirit and because of what Jesus Christ has done, we can pray to God at any point, and he can hear us, and he can respond, and he can impart wisdom into us directly. Uh, secondly, he's given us a community like the one we have here, and we can, we can turn to wise counsel all around us and ask for wisdom. But probably most importantly, God has given us the word of God, where he has poured all kinds of truth and wisdom into a, a resource that, if fully understood, could transform our lives. It gives us so many insights on, on how we could live our lives. It's, it's packed with, with clear rules that are designed to protect us from making poor choices. Uh, think about the Ten Commandments, for instance. You have the Ten Commandments. If you were to think through the list of the Ten Commandments and apply them to your life, or just soak in them and say, I'm going to live my life according to these ten principles. It's just a given. Now, let's say that you had done that. And, you know, it's the beginning of the month, and you realize rent is due. And I don't have the money in my checking account to write that check. And I don't have any stocks to liquidate. I don't have anything to sell on eBay. I need some money. And so you, you, you just say, gosh, I don't know where I'm going to get it. And so you leave your apartment and, you, and you, you walk down the street to clear your head and try and uh, figure out what you're going to do. And when you round the corner, right there on the corner is a brand new Range Rover. And the door to the driver's side is open. The engine is running and the keys are in it. And you ask yourself, is this God's provision for me? (laughs) No, you don't have to ask that. You don't have to ask that because you know what the Bible says about stealing. So you don't even have to stand there. You don't have to stand there and say, Lord, should I pray about this? I I mean, when do you see this in New York? This has to be you. No, no. You know it's not. When we submit to God's word, we allow his understanding and his wisdom to inform our understanding and our wisdom. His truth becomes our truth, and his ways become our ways. Uh, But for this to happen, we really need to know what the scriptures say. They really need to be embedded in, in who we are. Uh, Dallas Willard, one of my professors at Fuller, used to say this. He used to say, you need to soak in the scriptures. Soak in the scriptures. He said, don't read ten chapters at a time. Because you're, you're not going to remember most of it. It's, have you ever read something and then when you got to the end, you paused and then you realized... I don't remember what I just read. So you have to go back and read it again. If we read huge swaths of Scripture, that's what will happen. But if we soak in the Scriptures, we're picking one or two passages, and we're just 
meditating on those things until they become part of who we are. Whenever we're in a circumstance, it just comes up. It informs our behavior. It informs our choices. It helps us in our planning. Now, in verses 7 and 8, the father says to his son, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Now here, the father doesn't want his son to be blinded by his own pride. Um, Do you know what a prideful person is? Uh, A prideful person is, is really just a person who refuses to consider any other perspective but their own. You know, they're confident that their way is the right way, and so why bother listening to others? But a wise person takes wise counsel. Now, in America, here in the United States in particular, and I know we have lots of different cultures represented here, but if you grew up in the American school system or you know, with American parents, we're taught from a very early age that, that we're to develop our own opinions about things, that we're to be our own person, that we, we, we value our independence tremendously in this country. And there are some really great strengths to that, innovation, Uh, drive, different things that come through that. But there are also some considerable pitfalls to keep in mind. Uh, Years ago, when I was in college, I I did an overseas uh, exchange in Japan where I had a chance to teach and take classes at a university there. All the classes were taught in English. And one of the classes that I was participating in or teaching in was an interpersonal communications class, and it was split 50-50 with American students and Japanese students. And one of the things that I quickly learned as I was teaching that class is whenever I asked a question, the American students would automatically just blurt out the answer. One of the American students would always say, I think this. And I, I started thinking, how do I get the Japanese students to respond? Because they would never respond. And so then I started calling on the Japanese students directly. But I found that even when I did that, they wouldn't answer the question. They would get together in a group of about five or six other Japanese students. They would confer for a moment, and then they would say, we feel that the answer is this. And I I talked with one of the other professors there at the school about that, and they said, oh, yeah, it's a cultural difference. It's it's strikingly different between the Americans and the Japanese. He said, said, it's kind of like this. If if the Americans were going to build a freeway system, they would decide that the freeway system should be built, and they would immediately start building it. And as they were building it, they would make all sorts of adjustments along the way to make sure that it it works the way they, they hoped. And uh, usually, by the end of the process, uh, the freeway system would be completed, but way over budget. (laughs) Think of the Second Avenue subway line, for instance. Uh, The Japanese, on the other hand, if they were going to build a freeway system, they would spend years deliberating about every single detail behind closed doors. And then they would go out and they would build the thing all at once. And usually it would be finished on time and within budget. And without a lot of adjustments along the way. Now, again, there are strengths to both systems. 
but one of the things that we can praise the Japanese for in this instance is that they were willing to collaborate and glean the insights and wisdom of others before starting the project. Now, what I want to do now is just recap, just in the last couple minutes, uh, of what we've learned from this father who is trying to impart wisdom to his son. Okay? We need to get in touch with God's faithfulness and his love. We need to know who we are to him, what, what we mean to him. We, need, we really need to tap into that. And we need to trust him with all our heart, which means we need to do an inventory and think about the things that we are trusting in and deal with those things so that when crisis comes, we're prepared. Okay? We need to submit our understanding to God's understanding so that our ways become his ways. We need to be intentional about being in community and relying on the people around us that God has placed in our lives to provide us with insight and wisdom to keep us from failing. And when we're intentional about all these things, when we do these things on a regular basis, we will become wise beyond our years. Um, Making decisions will become easy. And the planning that we attempt to do will lead us where we want to go more times than not. Let's pray. Lord, I, I want to thank you for uh, your investment in us, for your chesed, for your, your faithfulness to us, your love for us that is covenantal. That you would never leave us or forsake us, regardless of what we've done or how we've failed. And that if you were here today, Lord, you'd want to hang out with us. You'd want to sit by us because when you think about us, you know, you do backflips. You know, you're really excited about, about us. Help us to tap into that, Lord, so that we have the confidence to move forward and be conquerors because of, we, because of the love that you've imparted in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.